Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Yes. We're happy you're with us. Yes, and thank you so much for all your questions. I actually want to start this episode by sharing a comment from one of our listeners. Please do. Okay. This is from Preston. Hello, Preston. Preston, in fact, begins, hello, Christopher and Wendy. Well. I have been a faithful listener for well over two years now. Wow. I first met you when you came to Louisville, Kentucky and gave your TOB talk. I had never heard Theology of the Body like I did that day. And it has changed my life. Awesome, Preston. Praise be to God. That's yes, just awesome. Yes. My wife and I are recently married, and we were wondering if you are planning to do a pilgrimage trip this year, as you did in 2021 to Mexico City. We would be so thrilled if so. We would love to take a trip like this together in our early marriage. Wow. Thank you for all that you do. You're welcome, Preston. Mm -hmm. And yes, we are going on pilgrimage. We are going to Spain uh -huh. to visit the sites of the Spanish mystics, St. Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. And we're going on the same pilgrimage to Fatima, Portugal, to unfold the mysteries of the secrets of Fatima and how they are related to John Paul II's theology of the body. So this is going to be a, a beautiful injection of T.O.B. with these historical Catholic realities. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila really formed the foundation of John Paul II's theology of the body, especially John of the Cross, but also Teresa of Avila. And then, if you don't know the connection between Fatima and theology of the body, you will on this pilgrimage. <laughs> we are going to be going uh, towards the end of August into the first week of September. I'm sorry I don't have those exact dates, but if you check the link below, mm -hmm. uh, I believe it's tobpilgrimages.com, but just click the link in the show notes. Uh, it's funny to say below. <laughs> They're listening. Yes. But on their website where That's they right. got the podcast in the show notes, click the link on TOB Pilgrimages to learn more. Would love to have you come with us to Spain and Fatima. These pilgrimages are such a great opportunity for uh, a deep dive, not just into the, the teaching of John Paul II, but to shine a light on, on Catholicism itself. And what I love about the pilgrimages is meals we get to have with one another, time on the bus. It's very different than a, coming to a course and just a classroom setting. I love teaching, obviously, but I also love just having conversations with people. Yeah. And, um, that's I, that's always a great gift of these pilgrimages. Yes, when you're pilgrims together, you form bonds that continue to nourish your journey of life, just right. as they did your journey of the pilgrimage. I know at least one time we've had a pilgrimage group that many of them came to a course at Blackrock after their pilgrimage and had a little reunion together right. there, that's remembering right. their time together on pilgrimage. So it's a beautiful gift. And people who have been to courses who haven't been on pilgrimage come on pilgrimage and have a little reunion with their classmates. Too. That's true. So it That's goes both true. ways. Right. Any other updates from the TUB Institute? Yes, please. If you haven't already, 
learned more about the revealed event and signed up, mm-hmm. please do click that link in the show notes. We are having a a unique event live here in Pennsylvania that will be simulcast on the internet May 13th, 14th, and 15th. There are three ways to partake of this. You could come live. Uh, Those seats are limited, and they're selling out quickly. If you want to be with us here in Pennsylvania, uh, please sign up quickly to get those tickets because they're limited. You can sign up for free to get the keynotes online, uh, and you can sign up for a premium package that will give you access to the whole weekend online, the sit-down conversations, the -the behind-the-scenes events, Uh, that will be available for the premium pass holders. So check out the link. It's going to be an amazing event. We have Father Mike Schmitz coming, Jeff Cavins, Jason Everett, Jackie and Bobby, uh, Angel, Damon Owens, yours truly will be there, and Bill Dunahy, of course, from the Institute, Jen Settle from the Institute. Uh, Check out all the info you can learn more about uh, with that link. It's going to be an awesome, awesome, one-of-a-kind event. Excellent. Would you be ready for a question now? I am ready now for a question. I have one from a patron picked just for you. All right, let's do it. I don't know if everybody knows that Wendy picks all the questions. I do, yeah. She goes through them all, prays through them all, and chooses the ones that we're going to address. And I don't know what they are Mm -hmm. until right now. So you know and I don't. (laughs) Here we go. I admire that about you, by the way. I am so limited in what I can say on the spot. I really need time to think about things. So it always amazes me that you can just hear it and just have such beautiful things to say. Anyway. Well, it maybe I don't know, maybe it's a little dangerous to be able to do that. I don't maybe I don't know. Maybe I could I use a had, little more reflection. You've had many years of practice. But I, I much prefer it. I I because I I like what spontaneously comes. Yeah. That's better for me than preparing. I know. I hope it works for our listeners. Here we go. So this Now is... I'm nervous. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's right. This is our first question from a patron named Lino. Hello, Lino. Dear Christopher and Wendy, thank you for all your efforts in spreading the TOB across the globe. In a special way, I would like to thank Christopher for his various study programs. Naked Without Shame, Created oh, and what? Redeemed. Oh, You know Naked Without Shame? That goes way back. Into the That's heart. back into the 90s. Come on. That's right. He says, those presentations maybe 10 to 12 years ago put me on a journey which I could have never imagined. I'm happy that even with its ups and downs, I'm still on that path. Awesome, Lino. And I Lino. hope to cling on to it till the end. Woo! As a parent now, my question is in regards to schooling. Across the globe, there are Catholic schools which are either boys only or girls only. What do you think is the reasoning behind such an approach? For, for the integral development of a boy or girl, don't you think the mixed schools will be more appropriate? Doesn't separating them keep them from having a proper appreciation of the opposite sex? I believe TOB can shed some light on it. Lino, I love your question, and I love what you shared about making this journey. I love, I love that you had those old Naked Without Shame. I don't know if you had the CDs, but there was actually the first version of that series came out on cassette tape. That's right. Oh my word, I feel old. Uh, <laughs> Lino, uh, I'll I'll share a quote. I, I I do think I'll share a quote from John Paul II's Theology of the Body first, but I do think that. 
there could be good reason to have boys educated uh, in school together and girls educated in school together, so long as there are opportunities for the commingling. So let me just throw out this quote from JP2, then I'll say more. This is straight out of the theology of the body. He says, life is by its very nature co-educational, right? We cannot learn, that was his quote, now I'm going to expand, we cannot learn the full breadth of our humanity in isolation um, from the other sex, right? Life by its very nature is co-educational. It, it, it is important that men and women learn, and boys and girls, learn to interact. So there has to be, if, if the goal is total separation, if the goal of male education by itself and female education by itself comes from some kind of suspicion towards the sexual difference, or uh, if we have boys and girls together, it's always going, only going to cause trouble, well, that would not be a, a healthy approach, right? Life by its very nature is co-educational, straight out of John Paul's theology of the body. However, I think an argument could be made for an all-boy school, for an all-girl school, again, so long as there are plenty of opportunities for co-mingling uh, between the schools and, and in the tradition of the church, that's often been the case. You know, they have the, they call them the mixers, right? The, uh, I know when my parents were in college, um, sorry, I'm thinking Forrest Gump, uh, Jenny went to an all-girls college and I went to an all-boys college. Um <laughs> And, but there would be these mixers that my, my mom went to an all-girls college, my dad went to an all-boys college, but they'd have these mixers, and that's where they met. That's mm -hmm. why I exist, because they these two colleges had these mixers. So thank God for mixers, or I wouldn't exist. Um, but let's just say guys learn in a certain way. Girls learn in a certain way. Uh, and there could be an argument made that we want to have a school where the guys learn in the way that guys learn without what might be considered a distraction of the opposite sex and vice versa. Again, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily send my kids to education in that way. That's not the way I was educated, but I think an argument can be made for it. Uh, I wouldn't dismiss it entirely so long as there is ample opportunity for recognizing that life by its very nature is co-educational. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it is interesting that it's part of the Catholic, you know, Catholic schools sometimes are that way. I like that he included across the globe mm -hmm. because I think it points to the fact that there are cultural realities in play and, um, you know, different, all kinds of factors that um, influence what's the best environment for education, both within just a family's culture and within a wider culture. Um, my own experience was that I never really liked to be just with the girls. <laughs> you were, yeah, you went to an all-girls school for just freshman one year of year, high school. Just ninth grade. And um, yeah, I thought, oh, this is not this is not my thing. I just felt it was a strange intensification of certain feminine things that were a little more than I, a bigger dose than I desired. And I always appreciated the balanced conversations that happened when in mixed groups of people, at least by that age I did. And uh, it was funny to me that when I went to college, I majored in nursing because it's a largely female 
profession. So in many classes, it was almost all girls. And I remember looking around and thinking, oh, wait, I I don't like this. (laughs) I like nursing. But anyway, that's my own experience. And um, I I agree with you that um, it's there's both positives and negatives that can happen. I think there can be, you know, a strengthening of children through those experiences, especially if they have healthy teachers who don't um, disparage the opposite sex. Yeah, critical. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's really important. And I, I would hope that, say, in an all-boys school, some of the teachers would be female, and in an all-girls school, some of the teachers would be male. Just that we need that kind of example and comfort level with people of the opposite sex. Yeah. I just underscore one more time, if it if it's coming from a place of suspicion, the separating of boys and girls, uh, yeah, that's that needs to be purified and, and healed. That's not Suspicion is never, never a healthy attitude in the relationship of boys and girls, men and women. Yeah. Our next question is from a listener named Gigi. Hello, Gigi. Hello, Christopher and Wendy. I'm 17 and a practicing Catholic. I love to listen to your podcasts and to see how beautifully you two live out the faith in your marriage. The example is a blessing. Here's my question. Lately, I've been struggling with body image. Even though I'm healthy and take care of my body, I'm constantly finding imperfections in what I see. I realize that this struggle is likely very heavily impacted by social media, but I also think the cause might even stem from my family's influence. My parents have a healthy marriage, but sometimes my dad makes comments about my mom gaining weight, and it just doesn't seem like it's coming from a place of love. Mm. Even my older brother makes comments when he sees me or one of my siblings eat fattening foods. I realize that fraternal correction and caring for each other's health is a thing, but as a result, I believe that if I gain weight, then my body might become less lovable. Bless you, dear sister. Bless you. Thank you for making yourself so vulnerable and putting this out in the light. Uh, I can speak into this. Uh, I know you can too, Wendy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a sensitive, painful issue. We are so affected by the media. We are so uh, brainwashed even by the images that have molded us, shaped us in the ways we think. Um I've been wounded by this. I know you have, Wendy, wounded by this, shaped by these ideas that you have to look a certain way, um, have a certain body type in order to be, quote, lovable, end quote. And that is just a lie. Mm. It is a lie from the pit of hell. That's where all lies come from, the pit of hell, the father of lies. Gigi, there is... uh, Yes, I think you're right. It's not just the media here, but a family influence. But of course, your family's been influenced by the media. But that family culture, those comments from your dad, comments from brothers, all of that is playing into this body image question. My invitation to you, Gigi, is to open those places in your heart that feel unlovable. Every, each and every time you experience that, and just say, Jesus, what do you think? Maybe this could be something you do, uh, uh, yes, in the moment, Jesus, what do you think? But maybe 
in your daily prayer. I hope you have a daily prayer life. This is wonderful material, Gigi, for your prayer life, to open up to Jesus, saying, Jesus, what do you say about my body? What do you say about my lovability? For each and every one of us, we are on a journey in seeking where really and truly our identity comes from. Mm-hmm. This has been a huge part of my journey. Yeah. And my spiritual director has a little shorthand thing with me where, and I know I've shared this on a previous podcast at some point, where he'll, he'll kind of wag his finger back and forth horizontally and then vertically. And by that, he's saying, are you seeking your identity horizontally in what others think of you? Or are you seeking your identity vertically in what the Lord thinks of you? And for all of us, we are bent towards creatures. This is part of the inheritance of original sin, where we're no longer straightened up in our identity and our sense of self, receiving who we are from the only one who has the authority to tell us who we are. The only one who has that authority is the author Mm. of our existence, of our identity. When we look to those who have no true authority to tell us who we are, we will always feel insecure. Uh, uh, We won't have a sure sense of ourselves. And one of the main results of that is we feel unlovable. As we learn to straighten up to the author of our identity and allow him in his authority to tell us who we are, these lies have less and less of an impact on us. But speaking from experience, this is a long journey. There will also be, Gigi, in this journey, the need to forgive your father for not honoring your mother the need to forgive your brothers and your whole family. I mean, there's probably a, an inheritance here. This, this probably goes back to your father's family of origin. Uh, I don't know what might be going on on your mother's side since you didn't speak into that, but these are family dynamics that get passed from generation to generation, and they go very, very deep in us. Uh, so forgiveness of those who are believing these lies and trying to get you to believe them too. I know this was something that I inherited from a family system that believed these things, and it was painful bringing that into our marriage, and you and I, Wendy, have been on quite a long journey here and healing and exposing this stuff to the light. And I know that one of the things I have had to look at in all of this is a fear of death, this clinging to a youthful figure, this clinging to a youthful appearance, this this fear of getting old and gaining weight and all of these things, it's really a fear of death. Uh, What your, let's just go with your dad and your brothers, because you gave those examples. I want to say this, remember that whenever there's dysfunction, whenever there's something flowing from our sinful, broken humanity, something good has gotten twisted up. Right. Your dad and your brothers in these comments about, you know, hey, you're eating something fatty, or you're going to gain weight, or you're going to be unlovable, 
you're going to be, you know, overweight, all, all this stuff. Underneath all of that, there is a desire for beauty. There is a desire for the glorified body. But there is a resistance of the way we really experience the glorified body. The path, the way, the journey to the glorification of the body is the humiliation of the body, the return of the body to the grave, to dust, this, this growing old, gaining weight, <laughs> getting gray, getting wrinkles. It's not a fun, happy thing in and of itself. It's a reminder that we're returning to the grave, but our hope our hope here to experience what we really desire, the glorified body. That's what we really desire. The hope we have is not in plastic surgery or oil of Olay or dyeing your hair or fad diets, uh, the, the real or crazy exercise programs. Uh, again, you brought this up and I agree with it. We should be relatively healthy, right? We have a responsibility towards our, our bodies and health and fitness is fine and good, but oh my gosh, in our culture, is that ever an idol? And we need to learn how to rid ourselves of that idolatry, to be healed of that idol. Um, fitness is one thing, but bowing down to an idol is another. And I would say in our culture, 98% of the time, fitness and idolatry are all tangled up with each other, and oftentimes, majority of the time, we're bowing down to an idol. Wendy, what are some of your thoughts here? Um, yes, I, I appreciate Gigi's question, and I, I like that you mentioned prayer, getting to know the Lord and how He sees us, which is can be a scary question to ask. I love reading Psalm 139 that talks about how much the Lord knows everything about us and is so present in lovingly creating us. That's a beautiful prayer to take um, in your time of prayer is to read Psalm 139. And I love what you said about forgiving those who have, um, you know, given this raised this question about whether the body is really lovable, whether your body or your mother's body is truly lovable. Your body is lovable. Mm -hmm. Your mother's body is lovable. The body expresses the person. This body-person unity is what makes us lovable. Mm -hmm. You are lovable yeah. as you are. I don't care if you're 200 pounds overweight, 300 pounds over. I don't... You are lovable. Mm. You are loved. There is no such thing as an unlovable human being. doesn't exist. That's true. I think that as we process these things with the Lord, we actually begin to feel a desire for the healing of those who've hurt us, which is a beautiful grace and a beautiful uh, just aspect of the life of Christians, uh, that ability to transform our experience in this world. We're transforming the world by by our Amen. prayer, by taking that painful hit and going to the Lord and acknowledging the pain and forgiving the one who hurt us, and then to take it the next step and pray for those who have hurt us. Can be, I mean, you can pray for 
all the social media people posting yes, things, yes, all yes. the regular media, all the just the underlying messages of happiness comes from being having this appearance. Love being loved comes from having this appearance. All of those messages are just being fed to us through the images that we see. You can pray for all of those people. You can pray for the people closest to you as they hurt you. And it is, you are going to transform the world by being open to grace in this arena where so many are just believing what comes from the evil one. Yeah, so it's a, it's a lie. This lie, it goes so deep and it attacks us right in our most vulnerable places where we, every human being longs to be loved. And, and the, the lie out there is in order to be loved, you have to look like this. Right. And so that lie taps our deepest need, our deepest fear, our, our deepest insecurities, and those who step out of that game and say, that's a lie, I'm not going to believe it, then they get, everybody else's fear and insecurity gets dumped on them as well, because the lie is only as powerful as the number of people who believe it. And when you step out of it, you're, you're breaking it for yourself, and please God, you're breaking it for other people. But those who don't want to part with the lie will, will then be even you know, more cruel, and you, you have to deal with a lot of persecution there. Um, you can also be praying for your future husband. Uh, that doesn't mean that you won't have any issues in your relationship related to these things, but be praying for him, praying for the Lord to protect him and heal him. Be praying for the courage to love him as he is and to allow that to be transformative in your marriage. So I, I really do think you are on the right track and looking at where these feelings are coming from. And as you pray through these things, I hope also you feel the doors opening up to understand more the full gift of your person in the Lord's eyes, which is expressed in your unique body and has so many aspects that are so lovable to him and are mm. so attractive. Mm. So I hope that that is just an heart-opening, mind-opening experience for you. I, I want to share a witness here, a witnessing to grace in our relationship, Wendy, that has come through great suffering. I was warped, warped by the culture in in what I thought a woman was supposed to look like, what a man was supposed to look like, etc. Um, and it wounded me and it wounded you, Wendy, that my brain had been warped in these ways. And I know in your pain, you learned how to pray for me, to intercede for me, offering your pain as intercession, united with Jesus for me. Yeah. And I know I'm not perfect. I know I still have a long way to go. No one can ever claim, now I'm healed. <laughs> um, but I can look back and I can see how far... Uh, I have come. Yeah. And that in large measure comes from your willingness to pray and intercede for me. And I'm so grateful to you, Wendy. I'm so mm. grateful to you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And I'm so sorry. I, I mean, yeah, for, I mean, we've been through this, not like it's the first time I'm apologizing no. to you. We have been through this in, in many ways and 
many levels in our many years of married life. Uh, but it, 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 I, I'm so angry at these lies because I know the pain they cause because right. we've lived this. Uh, they're lies. They are lies from the pit of hell. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not be afraid, Gigi, to go on this journey of seeking your identity in the one who alone has authority to tell you who you are. Because that's who you are. Doesn't matter what other people think. Mm-hmm. Our next question is from Tamara. Hello, Tamara. I just want to tell you that I love you both. TOB has changed my entire outlook on life, whoop. marriage, and our church. Whoop, 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 whoop. Bless you, Tamara. That's awesome to hear. I've just fallen in love with the sacred heart of Jesus. Mm. And as I do, I'm reading all about the saints who embrace this devotion. I'd love to hear you address the relationship between the sacred heart and T.O.B. Oh, wow. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) Well, sacred heart, right? Isn't it interesting? We, when we say the word heart... Uh, we know we're, unless we're, you know, reading a medical textbook or something, we're typically not speaking of the muscle in our chest, Mm. right? And yet we know the word heart refers to the muscle in our chest, but we use this word that refers to the muscle in our chest to refer also to a deep, profound, invisible reality which is the core of our humanity. Mm. Core is Latin for heart, um, right? Yeah. The core of our humanity. Um, that is the very principle of theology of the body at work right there. Oh, I love this answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there it is. So the thesis statement of the theology of the body is this. The body and only the body is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. The body was created by God to transfer into the visible reality of the world, the invisible mystery hidden in God from eternity, and thus to be a sign of it. Mm. Okay, so this comes to its fullest expression, the theology of the body, comes to its fullest expression. The making visible of the invisible in and through the human body comes to its fullest expression in the incarnation, in the body of Christ. And because the human heart is the sign, the symbol of the deepest reality of our humanity, Mm. the mystery of mysteries of the incarnation is that the living God has a human heart, mm. and he loves with the human heart. Uh, again, we're not merely speaking of the muscle beating in the chest of Jesus, but we are speaking of that. It's the apt symbol of the invisible reality of divine love being revealed through Jesus Christ. And where is this all brought to fulfillment? It's brought to fulfillment at the cross, and in a particular way, when the lance is thrust into his heart. From there is the flow of blood and water. What is happening here? I, I, this is a meditation that came to me many, many years ago. 
and and I, I've drawn much fruit from it. And I, I hold it out to our listeners. I hope it blesses you. I hope it takes you places in your prayer. Yes, there was a lance thrust into his side and into his heart, and blood and water came out because of that lance. But I also like to look at it this way, that the human heart, in the end, can't really contain, because the human heart is, is finite, uh, it's, it's in a certain sense infinite, but only God really and truly is infinite. And yet, divine love, which is infinite, was expressed. Think of that word, to express something, to press it out. Divine love, which is infinite, was expressed from a human heart. And so I like to think not only was that that blood and water from the heart of Jesus the result of a lance that was thrust into his heart from the outside, but I also like to think of it as the membranes of his heart bursting from the inside with the explosion of infinite love. Can the human heart contain the infinite love of God? Not without breaking, <laughs> not without splitting open, not without bleeding, but it's precisely in that rupture, in that explosion of love, in that gush of blood and water from the sacred heart of Jesus that new life comes to the world. Indeed, St. Augustine said, that the cross was the marriage bed of Christ the bridegroom. And he said that this flow of blood and water was, as it were, the spiritual seminal fluid of the bridegroom. Uh, astounding. I mean, ast astounding. We, we don't, some of us may not even know where to place that or how to handle that or it may conjure up all kinds of distorted ideas, and that's exactly the end goal of a pornographic vision of the body, is to prevent us from entering the holy, sacred glory of the consummation of the mystical marriage of Christ and the Church. That's the ultimate glory and visceral uh, realism of the sacred heart, the making visible of the invisible, the, the human heart of Jesus expressing the love of the eternal one, the infinite one. Can the heart contain the infinite? Not without breaking open and spilling over. That's what happened at the cross, and it's through that spilling over of love uh, that, that new life comes to us, that redemption comes to us, that we are regenerated, born again of water and the Spirit, regenerated by the very love of God, by the very mystery of the infinite love of God expressed through the finite heart of Jesus Christ. I'm remembering, um, gosh, it was probably, I want to say, seven years ago, you were speaking in France. Yes. And you had the opportunity to visit a, a shrine to Margaret Mary Alacoque, who was the uh, the saint who yeah. originated this particular devotion yes, to, yes, the sacred to the sacred heart. heart. And I remember you sharing with me when you came back. Um, well, first of all, it was a, a just a beautiful experience being there and 
experiencing in the church the the work of artists portraying how much love poured into her heart from Jesus. Yes, the, yes. the portrayal of that itself could be life changing. Just experiencing how she just was filled to overflowing with his love. Um, but I remember you also saying that she experienced this as a spousal um, just image of that heart was her bridegroom's yes. heart um, and how fitting that is when we look at the meaning also of, of theology of the body, how we discover that our bodies reveal the deepest truth about ourselves, but also the deepest truth about God and his spousal love for us. If you press into this sacred heart devotion, where it will lead you is Ephesians chapter 5, mm. verses 31 to 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then Paul says, this is a great mystery, and it refers to Christ and the church. Christ left his father in heaven. He left the home of his mother on earth to give up his body for his bride so that we, the bride of Christ, might become one flesh with him. Where do we become one flesh with him? In the Eucharist. And there's various miracles, Eucharistic miracles, and that where, where the host actually turns to human flesh. And when this flesh has been examined by scientists, it turns out to be, surprise, surprise, mm, the heart. Heart tissue. Yeah. Hello. Mm. Hello. Hello. Oh, my word. Really and truly, this is a mega mystery. When Christ is giving us his body, he's really giving us his heart. Mm. He's giving us his love. And this should be the case also for us as, as spouses. Our, our love is as beautiful as husband and wife as we are integrated body and soul, as the giving of the body in the marriage bed is really and truly a giving of the heart. Mm. In as much as it is that, it is a true reflection of the way Christ loves the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, Wendy, I, I, want to, I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my heart. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to give you mine. Thank you. What a privilege. What an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us. Help us to, and it's scary. We have to, we've been married, um, you know, going on 27 years. And there are, the, every layer of intimacy, a new exposure of your heart, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, it's not like zippity doodad. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> That was weird. It's not like it's not like all sunshine and roses to really give your heart. It's scary. But I this is what we pledge at the altar mm -hmm. to do that, to yeah. go there, to make that vulnerable naked gift of one's heart. Uh, there's a lot of physical nakedness between men and women, but there's very little relatively speaking heart nakedness. Mm. And the, the physical nakedness is only honest in, in the measure that the heart nakedness is also taking place. 
So, Lord, help us as a married couple and help all married couples to, to learn that way of really getting naked, uh, heart naked, so that our physical nakedness can be a, an ever more genuine expression of a spiritual nakedness. And, and then again, we're back at that principle of the theology of the body. The body and only the body can make visible what is invisible. Uh, that mystery of the heart is invisible, but it's made visible or meant to be made visible through the gift of the body. Mm. Lord, teach us this way. This is what you mean when you say, love one another as I have loved you. Teach us, Lord. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to receive your love, remain in your love, and share that love in all our relationships, in, in all the appropriate ways. We hope you've been blessed by this episode today. We, we ask you to share it with anybody you think needs to hear what you've been hearing today, friends, family, co-workers, parishioners, your pastor, uh, your neighbors, whoever. Who's on your mind <laughs> and your heart right now? Share it. Share this good news. Yeah. And keep the questions coming. We, we love getting them. We love doing this. We look forward to being with you on our next episode. Uh, again, check out the Revealed link in the show notes and the link for the pilgrimage in the show notes. And until next time, may you know it in your bones. You are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.